So my name's Doug, and I get to follow Jesus with all of you guys, and I love you guys. I love what God is doing in our midst, and I might be a little naive about this, but I really believe that our church is in love with prayer. Like when someone who's in a city group uh, is going through a tough time, that city group responds usually by praying. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a family in our church, they had to rush their young child to the ER. So we just hopped on Facebook, posted it real fast, and within minutes, dozens of people had commented saying, hey, we are praying for you. Whenever we're about to launch something new as a church, we usually start that thing by praying into it. And every day at 10.02 a.m., our staff and many of us in our church, we have an alarm that goes off to remind us to pray Luke chapter 10, verse 2, asking God to raise up and send out laborers into the harvest. Would you send out leaders so that more people can meet Jesus? I really believe that by God's grace, our church is growing in prayer. And I wonder, have you ever been on the receiving end of some of those prayers? Like maybe you were going through a tough time, you had a need, and you made that known. Maybe you were sick, and you shared that with your city group, and they prayed for you. Has anybody ever come up and said, hey, I'm praying for you? Or even better, they pause what they're doing, and right then and there, in that moment, they place their hand on your shoulder, and they say a prayer for you right there. It was a few weeks ago. Um, I had just preached, and I was down here on the front row. Uh, everybody was taking communion, and I was like on my knees singing quietly to Jesus. And then, quite surprisingly, I feel these two big, strong hands on my shoulder. And at first, I'm kind of like scared. I'm like, uh, yes, Jesus, I guess it's my time to go. <laughs> Didn't think it would happen this way. And then I look up, and uh, to my left is Richard Swatzenberg, and to my right is Larry Hartfield, and they're praying for me. And I got to tell you, immediately I felt loved. This wave of courage washed over me, and I know it sounds strange, but it's kind of like I felt God through them. You know what I mean? Like, why does it mean so much to us when someone prays for us? I think it means so much to us because it tells us that they are in it with us. They care enough about us and what we're going through to take us to God, to take us to the Father in heaven. Prayer is this powerful way to connect with the person you're praying for and connect with God who you're praying to. And City Light, this morning, we get to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for us. The very Son of God, while he was still on the earth, took time out of his busy schedule, and he prayed for you. And I don't mean that like Jesus prayed for Peter, and there's something we can learn about that. Or Jesus taught a lesson on prayer, and there's something that we can learn about that. I mean that Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed for us. So we'll pick it up in John 17, verse 20. Go there with me, if you will. 
So Jesus is praying and he says this, I do not ask for these only. That's the 11 disciples who were around him in that moment at that place, okay? He's saying, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's me. I believe in Jesus because I heard the word of Christ, the gospel. That's many of us in this room. If you've believed in Jesus and banked on him, put your faith and trust in him. Jesus right here, he's praying for you. If you believe in Jesus because you heard the word of the gospel and you responded by saying, yes, I'm a great sinner, but Jesus is my great savior, then Jesus right here is praying for you. Let, let this like land on you, my friend, okay? Just, just feel this for a moment. You were on Jesus's mind. You were on Jesus's prayer list. You were not an afterthought. You were not forgotten or forsaken. You did not sign up for some mass movement where the leader has no idea who you are. You are not one in 10 million followers who sees cool filtered images and videos of the person you're following, yet you remain unseen to them. Oh no, Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for us. He cares about us, so he prays for us. And I don't know about you, but I want to know what's he praying Hebrews chapter 7 says not only did Jesus pray for us back then, but Hebrews 7 would say he's still alive today and he forever lives so that he can forever pray for us. So I want to hear, what was Jesus praying? What is Jesus praying? Like when you go down Jesus' prayer list and you see your name, what's going to show up next to it? Have you ever wondered that? What is Jesus praying for me? If Jesus, who is glorious and powerful and great and good, is praying for me, then I would love to creep up on that conversation between he and the Father and hear what his prayer is. And thankfully, we get to do just that because John recorded that prayer for us. Look at verse 21. Here's what Jesus is praying for you. Here's what he's praying for me. Here's what he's praying for us. That they may all be one. When we were on Jesus' mind, right before his crucifixion, he prayed for our oneness together, for our unity. Father, I pray that Doug would be one with your people. I pray that Helen would connect with and unify with your church. Father, make them one. So Jesus is praying for our unity, and then he keeps going with this prayer, and he's clarifying what kind of oneness he's talking about. He says, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So the kind of unity that Jesus is praying for is the same kind of unity that he has with God the Father in heaven. An incredibly deep, interwoven, interconnected unity. The kind of level when you get caught up in each other's words and thoughts and feelings and plans. This is 
intimate unity that Jesus is praying for you and for me. My wife likes to knit. I don't know if any other ladies do, but my wife loves to knit. And whenever she begins a new project, she usually has two or three or four different balls of yarn, different colors, different textures, and all those balls of yarn are in the same bag. But even though they're in the same bag, they're still separate. But then a few nights go by, and we're sitting on the couch talking or watching Netflix, and and I see her little petite fingers pull some yarn, knit some yarn, weave some yarn, whatever those needles are doing at the time, right? I I don't get it. Pull yarn, knit yarn, weave yarn. And within a few nights, something starts coming together. And by the time the project is done, those two, three, four independent balls of yarn have come together into one new, beautiful baby blanket or baby bib or scarf or hat or whatever it is. It's miraculous. The threads of yarn are interwoven. They're interconnected. They are wrapped around each other in such a way that they were literally holding each other to each other. That is the kind of unity that Jesus prays for us. He prays that we would be one, interconnected and interwoven, wrapped around each other to the point that we are literally holding each other to each other, that we might be one. And then Jesus continues, and he's praying into our unity. And as Jesus prays, we're going to pick up three dynamics of this interwoven unity, three aspects of the unity that Jesus prays for us. The first aspect, I put it in your notes, is this. The foundation of our unity is the glory of Jesus. This interwoven, interconnected unity that Jesus prays for, it has a source, it has a power, it has a foundation, and that foundation is the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 22. This is where Jesus prays into this. He says, talking to the Father, the glory that you have given me. So this is the glory that God the Father gave to Jesus while he was on earth. So she's saying, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. So Jesus passes that glory on to us. Now, why? That they may be one, even as we are one. So the very glory of Jesus is given to us. The glory of Jesus is in us, church. Like when you look around at the people in the room, you are seeing the glory of Jesus. If we have eyes to see, if we will focus well, we aren't merely bodies in chairs, but we have the glory of Jesus right here among us. The glory of Jesus in us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I miss that. Can we be honest, right? Like sometimes I see other things when I look at you people. Sometimes my eyes are focused on something else and I'm seeing other things. And in my years of just being a part of Jesus's church, there's usually two things, two things that if I focus on them, it makes me miss the glory of Jesus. Two things that when my eyes are focused on them, I miss the glory of Jesus and I can even accidentally start sowing seeds 
of disunity. Those two things are my preferences and your weaknesses. It starts with my preferences, right? Now, hear this. The path to disunity is paved with personal preferences. How's that for some peas for you, right? The path to disunity is paved with personal preferences. I prefer music this way. I prefer teaching that way. I prefer the color of carpet this way. I prefer that leadership style. It's just personal preferences, which is really no big deal if you're picking the paint color for your bedroom. But if you focus on those preferences and prioritize those preferences in a church, it sets you up for disappointment or even disunity. Because when our preferences don't get met, we usually then start to highlight each other's weaknesses. It goes from I prefer to their weak, from I like to their wrong. When our preferences aren't met, their weaknesses get bigger. We highlight them, we magnify them, and pretty soon we begin to blame them. That's the path to disunity. But the good news is that Jesus prays for and Jesus offers us an alternative. City Light, we are not destined for disunity. We are primed, because of Jesus, we are primed for perfect unity together that he prayed for. How does that unity come about? By focusing on highlighting and celebrating the glory of Jesus that is among us, in us. When our focus and our priority is the glory of Jesus, get this, our preferences fade to the background and our weaknesses can be celebrated. They can be celebrated. Now, here's how this plays out between Eric and I. Eric's not here this morning. Um, We planted this church together. If you see him, you'll know him because he looks like a hobbit. Um, Here's how it plays out for Eric and I. Sorry, he knows this is coming. Anyway, you could not find two men who are more unlike. Like our personality types are literally opposites. He grew up here in Iowa. I grew up in the South, in Texas. He got laid out playing football. I got laid out playing football, right? I'm tall, and he's, it's pretty obvious, okay? <laughs> Anyways, about the only thing that Eric and I have in common is that we love Jesus, and we chose to plant a church together. And on that church planting journey, there have been many times when we could have highlighted each other's weaknesses, focused on our own preferences, and began to, begun to walk the path to disunity. For example, I prefer to get things done, complete task, check boxes. It's a preference. Sometimes I like to think it's a biblical conviction, but at the end of the day, it's just a preference. Eric, on the other hand, he might think about texting me, but never actually text me. He might draft an email, but forget to actually send it. It's a weakness, a weakness of his. Now, what would happen if I focused on and I highlighted that weakness of Eric's, and I talked to him about how it doesn't match my preference, and then I laid the blame on him? What would that do to our relationship? It would stir up disunity between us, Right? Now, the flip side is also true. Eric prefers to connect with people, 
to talk with them, hear their hearts, not rush conversation. That is a preference of his. Me, I have a weakness called getting things done. Check that box. Next task, please. Um, I struggle to slow down and deeply connect with people's hearts. Now, Eric could choose to highlight that weakness of mine, talk about how it doesn't match his preference, and then lay the blame on me. If Eric did that, what would happen to our relationship? It would stir up disunity between us. But here's the alternative. What if instead of focusing on our weaknesses and desiring our own preferences, what if instead we magnified the glory of Jesus in each other? When I look for the glory of Jesus in Eric, it is so obvious, so apparent and easy to see. Like when someone gets around Eric, they immediately feel loved, heard, and known. When Eric is talking with you, you are pretty sure you must be the only person in the room and he has chosen to give 100% of his attention to you. When Eric gets a vision from the Lord and he's caught this, it is so easy for him to inspire all of us to chase after that vision and get caught up in what God is doing. When Eric prays for me, I can feel the love of the Father washing down on me. All of that is the glory of Jesus in Eric Wiggum. And when I focus on that, magnify that, and celebrate that, it brings unity to our relationship. Instead of focusing on my preferences and highlighting his weaknesses, I'm exalting the glory of Jesus in us. The foundation of mine and Eric's unity is the glory of Jesus. City Light, the same is true for us as a church. Get this, what if this week, on your ride to City Group, you intentionally thought about the glory of Jesus in the people in your City Group? The ways that they reflect Jesus' wisdom, his love, his patience, or his power. What if you magnified the glory of Jesus in them, showed up to City Group, and then told them what you were thinking about? What would that do to your City Group? Oh, it would stir up an intense unity in your city group. Or what if this morning you intentionally looked around the room, scanned the room to find someone whom you could encourage and highlight the glory of Jesus in them? What if when you went to pick up your kids from City Like Kids, you told those volunteers, thank you so much. The way you serve my child reminds me of how Jesus served me. What if you find someone afterwards, after the service and when you're chatting, you say, hey, this is where I see Jesus in you. What would that do? It would stir up an intense unity in our church. City Light, the foundation of our unity is the glory of Jesus. It isn't our preferences or knowledge or the color of our skin or the size of our salaries that make us one in Jesus. It isn't the way we think, the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we vote, or the way we raise our children that makes us one in Jesus. It isn't our strengths, our style, our high fives, our hugs, our songs, or our sermons that make us one. It is the glory of Jesus that makes us us one. When our eyes are fixed on the glory of Jesus, we are unified. When our hearts are longing for the glory of Jesus, we are unified. 
when our relationships are soaked in the glory of Jesus, we are unified. Therefore, the most important voice in our church is Jesus. The most important person in the room is Jesus. The songs we sing and the sermons we preach over and over again must be Jesus. We want to exalt him and enjoy him, savor him and celebrate him, love him and like him, trust him and teach him. We want to highlight and delight in him. We want to magnify and unify around Jesus. The foundation of our unity, someone showing up this morning, is the glory of Jesus. Amen? That's the first thing about this unity that Jesus prays into us. The foundation is his glory. Jesus continues and he's praying into this and we pick up a second thing about this unity. The kind of unity that Jesus prays for has a goal, a purpose. I'd say it this way. The purpose of our unity is the mission of Jesus. The purpose of our unity is the mission of Jesus. Look at verse 21, John 17, 21. Jesus is praying again that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Okay, there's all the prayer for unity. Now, what I want you to do is underline the next two words in your Bible. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Skip down to verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And then underline these next two words again so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus prays for our oneness. He prays for our unity. And then he says that unity has a so that. That unity has a purpose that the world may see and believe in Jesus. Recently in my city group that I'm a part of, my friend Andy shared his story of how he came to know and follow Jesus. Andy runs our security team here. He's on the advisory team for our church. And he and my family, we've had the honor, the privilege of getting to launch a couple city groups together. Life is pretty good for Andy right now. Good marriage. They got three boys. They're in the process of adopting another child from Liberia. Things are good for him. But growing up, life was rough for Andy. His parents divorced when he was just eight years old. And so Andy felt all the pain of that divorce at a young age. And maybe the worst pain that he felt or saw was having to see his mom struggle through poverty as a single mom. He would remember times when they'd go to the gas station but didn't have enough money to fill up the car. Or they'd go to the grocery store, get the cart loaded, but then they get to the checkout line and the cart is declined and they just have to leave the groceries there and leave. But in that time, they were also part of a church and Andy remembers that church loving his mom. Like there'd be times they'd go to the gas station and someone from church would be there and they'd fill up their car for them. There'd be times when someone from the church would just offer and buy groceries for them so that they could have food to eat that week. And it was interesting, as I listened to Andy's story, one of the things that helped Andy love Jesus, one of the things that convinced Andy to believe in Jesus was how that church loved his mom. Andy said it this way, sometimes you have to see someone else love something before you can love it yourself. 
So as Andy watched that church love his mom and unify with his mom, even in her poverty, Andy was able to love the Jesus that that church preached. Does that make sense? The way that church built unity with his mom, even though she was single, poor, and could have easily been forgotten, made Andy say, if that's what Jesus lovers do, I want to love Jesus too. City Light, hear this. The way we love one another, forgive one another, and highlight the glory of Jesus in one another is one of the most powerful ways that we can show Jesus, that we can make Jesus famous in our cities. Unity isn't just something that makes us feel good. It's something that makes Jesus look good. Unity isn't just something that we experience. It is something that the world gets to see. And I, I love this about our church. This is a gift that God has given to us, the unity that we have. Like if someone were to walk into this room and take inventory of the people in this room and like know stuff about all of us, the only logical conclusion would be this Jesus guy must be legit. Like he must be worth it, you know? Because I'm telling you, we got Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Independents, all worshiping Jesus. We've got people who are packing heat legally. And we've probably got some people who are packing heat illegally. All worshiping Jesus, right? Man, we've got kids who are collecting canned goods, teenagers who are reading their Bibles, college students who are being baptized, young families who are learning the ropes, and empty nesters sharing their wisdom, all worshiping Jesus. We've got different ethnicities, different economic backgrounds, different jobs, different hairstyles, all worshiping Jesus. Some of you guys said amen to different hairstyles. We've got some people who wish that every song we ever sang was a hymn. We got other people who have never heard there's power, power, wonder, work, and power in the blood of the Lamb, right? But we are all worshiping Jesus. We got homeschoolers, private schoolers, public schoolers, teachers and cops, machine operators and football coaches, CEOs and secretaries, real estate agents and elected officials all gathered to worship Jesus. City light, that is compelling. That is something worth taking note of. The foundation of our unity is the glory of Jesus and the reason, the purpose for our unity is the mission of Jesus, to make him known. One last thing that Jesus prays for our unity, one last dynamic of our unity is this. The future of our unity is eternity with Jesus. Come on, Lord. The future of our unity is eternity with Jesus. Look at this beautiful prayer in verse 24. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, those who right now I'm praying, Lord, that they would be unified. My prayer is that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, here's what Jesus is praying. Oh, Father, the glory that you gave to me, I passed it on to them so that they can be unified. But Father, we both know they're not gonna do it perfectly. 
There's going to be times when they get caught up in their own preferences or times when they just focus on each other's weaknesses. They won't do it perfectly. They're going to miss my glory at times. So, Father, would you be gracious? Would you bring them through? Would you bring them home? Would you bring them to heaven to be with me so that they can see my glory fully and completely? I want them to see all of my glory and all of its glory so that they can be unified in all of my glory. Jesus knows we won't get this unity thing right all the time. So he prays for and he longs for the day when we're with him in heaven, beholding his glory perfectly. And when we behold his glory perfectly, we will be unified completely. City Light, listen, we we will strive for unity. And we will celebrate unity. Jesus has given us extraordinary amounts of unity at such a young age. And we will celebrate that. But also, we will mess up unity. We will. There's going to be times when you skip city group because you're so frustrated with their weaknesses. There's going to be times, there are times when I'm like, oh man, I'm not excited about our church. I'm discouraged about our church because all I'm thinking about is our weaknesses and will we ever get better? That happens. As much as I love unity, I also fail at unity. Don't we all at times? But the good news is that Jesus didn't only pray for our unity, he died for our disunity. Jesus didn't only pray for us to be one, he died for all the times when we aren't one. And Jesus will keep on praying for us. His death will be effective to accomplish the unity that he desires for us. And he will keep working. He will keep pouring his glory into us until one day all of our disunity is gone. All of the ugliness will be gone. All of the divisions in the body of Christ spread around the world, they will be gone. And all that will be left in that day In heaven with Jesus is his glory in us. His glory in us. And we will sing kumbaya like nobody's business. (laughs) Or maybe if I have my preference, we will sing 10,000 reasons forever. Forever. But maybe, maybe I should lay aside my preferences and just trust that the glory of Jesus is enough to satisfy my soul. And the glory of Jesus is enough to unify our souls. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we know what your heart is. It's so clear. Jesus is praying it right here. That we might be one, that we all might be one. So, Father, right now, I want to pray for those of us in this room who don't feel like they're one with us. They don't feel like they're one with your church. Whatever pain is there, would you heal it? Whatever fear is there, would you relieve it? If there's any unforgiveness, would you replace it with your kindness that leads to forgiveness? Oh God, would you do the the inner workings, the spiritual workings of building unity among us. 
And to that end, Jesus, we pray you would be the center of all we do. That you would be the most important voice in the conversation. That you would be the most important person in the room. That you would be the subject of our songs, the subject of our sermons, the subject of our relationships. Jesus, may your glory be revealed. May your glory be made manifest in us. We are not merely thinking of your glory as an out there, faraway concept, but your glory is right here in our midst among us. And may that glory bring unity in us. Oh, Father, I want to pray for all of our city groups that they would have unity built on your son, Jesus. I want to pray for the marriages in this room. May they have unity because the glory of Jesus is at the center of them. Pray for the friendships, the partnerships in this room. May they have unity because the glory of Jesus is at the center of them. Oh God, get glory among us. Be praised, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.